Well, today's scripture reading comes from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 22. Uh, We're going to be reading this in the ESV. Uh, We have ESV Bibles that are kind of like underneath, um, if you want to grab one of those. Um, It's also going to be projected up here. Um, But for those who are joining us at home, it's sometimes kind of hard to read the text, especially uh, on your phone. Um, The screen's kind of small, so you may want to look that up on your own. Uh, And once folks are are ready to read the scripture, if you're comfortable doing this at home, you can join us. Uh, I know that can be a little awkward, but if you're here in person, uh, we we, we ask that you please uh, stand as able for the reading of God's word. And so again, that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 22. And I'll read the scripture for us, and then we'll all respond with thanks be to God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, over the summer, um, and this kind of drawing to a close, but uh, I was preaching kind of an informal sermon series, uh, and um, we're going to be starting actually a new sermon series uh, starting next week, and it's called Deep, and, and it's going to be kind of our theme uh, throughout the semester about really just going deep. How do we really change in the Lord? And there's some things that you know, some hurts and some traumas that go real deep. And I think God's desire is to heal those things. And, and it, it can't just be a surface thing, right? And, and so uh, I, I'm really excited about that. We'll be sharing more next week and in, in the weeks to come. But we're drawing to close this kind of summer uh, sermon series, which was kind of informally, I, I thought of it as things that I, Pastor Steve, personally need to be reminded of. <laughs> and I was sharing those things, and basically we've been ending it uh, with kind of like, what are the, the like important themes of LGM, of Living Grace Ministry? What, what are the, the kind of like organizing principles, the things that, that I think about all the time when I think about this ministry that kind of keeps us moving forward, that you, know, you can kind of keep your eyes on the prize? And so today is that last uh, message in it, and fittingly, it's about the name of our ministry, Living Grace. 
And, you know, I wanted to share with you a little bit about our ministry. Um, so I came to this church in 2004. That was a long time ago. And I actually tried really hard to find pictures of the church from back then, but I couldn't. And so what I did instead, uh, I, I know this is kind of weird, but uh, instead of finding a picture of me or the church, I wanted to show you what my phone looked like back then. So just to show you how long ago this was, this old Verizon flip phone. This isn't the exact model, but this is what my phone looked like. You guys, in 2004, this was the new hotness, right? I mean, people would have been like, whoa, Pastor Steve, look at your phone. That's sweet, right? You know? Uh, and, and so, yeah, it was a really long time ago. And I, I have to say that when I came to this church, um, it was a very different church. Uh, we didn't really have a college ministry. It was mainly just the youth that were coming from uh, the Korean church. And we had a, a few older people just, you know, who were kind of coming to the service. And the question was, God, why did you bring me here? And that was something that I was praying about and trying to figure out what would be the vision and purpose of LGM. And so I want to share with you today kind of, you know, where God has led me, this kind of journey. And one of the things that we have to understand about church is that no church exists um, without something that we call culture, right? And so I, I know this is, uh, after eating lots of tacos, this might be <laughs> kind of a funny thing to talk about, but I, I want to talk a little about, about culture. Because one of the things that you may know about culture is that culture itself is invisible. There's expressions of it, right? There's expressions of it everywhere, but, you know, for instance, I like to, when I'm planning a message and there's a theme, I like to look up Google images. And when you try to look up images of culture, what comes up are things like this, or like sometimes it'll be like a word cloud or something like that. But there's no pictures of actual culture, right? Because like I said, it's invisible. Culture is just the way you do things. It's traditions. It's kind of things that um, are, are driving everything that we do. It is so important. But one of the things that I have found is that every nation, every place, every community has a culture, right? Whether you know it or not. It's like, you know, the air you breathe. And, you know, um, it's like the old joke where um, there's like a fish who's like, oh, you know, like the, the water's uh, like really nice today. And, you know, another fish is like, what the heck is water, right? That's kind of what culture is. Like, like we don't always know it's there, right? And so this is the thing, friends. There is a culture of Christ, and it is not the culture of this world. And if we don't understand that, then what will end up happening is the culture of Christ will become subservient to the culture of the world. It's what happens in every church, in every nation, whether we know it or not, unless we are super intentional about it. And so that's one of the things that I started to realize. For me, um, I'm just sharing me. I know maybe not everyone here is Korean-American, but that's my background. I grew up in a Korean-American church. And there were things that came out of that church that were really good. And there were things that came out of that church that were not so good, that really kind of like traumatized me and hurt me and things that I've been like working through therapy and working through a lot of deep healing for years, for decades. And you know, for me, when, when God was calling me to a church, it, it was something that I had to look at, to look at our culture and say, is some of this actually not healthy? Is this actually not of Christ? And so let me tell you something I've learned about, um, you know, it's Korean culture, but it's a lot of East Asian culture, right? Um, and, and one of the 
main things that affects East Asian culture is something that we call Confucianism. I know, it sounds like I'm lecturing here. So let me just kind of break it down really simply, right? It's all about hierarchy, right? It's all about, like, if two people meet, where do we rank, right? And this is how Asian societies were organized, right? And so there's, like, kind of these prime Confucian relationships, like ruler to subject, father to son, older brother to younger brother, husband to wife, right? And so it's one of the things that, uh, you know, for me, I, I... didn't know this was a thing, but I, I understood this once I started to learn about Confucianism. That when Asians meet oftentimes, at least for Koreans, one of the first questions they ask you is, how old are you? Now, in America, that would be considered very rude. <laughs> you don't ask people the first time you meet them, hey, how old are you? Like, yo, man, mind your business, right? But for Asians, it's important because you need to know, how do I talk to you, right? There's a whole different vocabulary that you use um, based on age, right? And this is just a cultural thing, right? And so, friends, it's just a thing, right? Culture is culture. Is that bad or good? I'm not sure. But I do know this about people. We are sinful. We're going to talk more about this in coming weeks. It just means we're broken. We're not perfect, right? And one of the things you will learn about sin is that sin becomes worse when it becomes corporate. The more people that get involved in sin, the bigger the sin becomes. Is one of the greatest mistakes of the church, I think, is that we only focus on individual sin. The problem is corporate sin, right? This is how we get racism. This is how we get genocide. This is how we get some of the worst things that ever existed on the planet is corporate sin, right? And this happens in culture. Because it's not just about, hey, I just need to know how to talk to you. It becomes about power. I need to keep the society in order. So then the person who is higher on the hierarchy, that's why I'm holding my hands like this, right? This is the person who gets the respect. And this is the person you have to listen to, right? And so it happens in families. It happens in churches, right? And so growing up, man, the pastor was like God. You had to listen to the pastor. I'm already telling you, that's not how we do things here, right? So I so just want to say, right? Like, like I, I don't try to act like I'm God. I don't try to act like I'm better than anyone else, right? But it was kind of like, if there's someone in authority, if there's someone in this hierarchy who's above you, you have to listen to them. If they're older than you, if, if they're, you have greater status than you, right? If they're, I mean, come, I'm just being honest. This is the, the, the culture, right? It's a patriarchal culture. If they're a man, and so most of the churches I've been to, the pastor is older. They have this title, and it's usually a man, right? You couldn't question that person. But what if you do? What if we, like human beings, we make mistakes, or, or we don't, you know, do things the way that most people want you to do it, or the people in authority want you to do it? What happens to that person? Is it like, oh, that's okay, no big deal, don't do it again? Or is it like this, yeah. What's wrong with you? Friends, right? There's a problem. There's a problem. And the problem is that we're imperfect people. <laughs> we already said we're all sinners. We all make mistakes, right? But if you make m- mistakes in the way that people in power don't want you to, in a hierarchy, there's problems. Don't you see it? I, I don't know for those of you who- who've grown up in Asian families, you know, and, and by the way, I already told you this. Culture, it's different. 
depending on what country you're in. American culture is very different. What it means to grow up in America is about independence, about becoming your own person, right? And so you're growing up as a young person in America, and you're around other, like, American teenagers, and you're like, yeah, you know, don't tell me what to do, right? That's, like, kind of the American thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to make my own choices. I'm an individual. And then you have your parents who are trying to tell you, like, no, you need to obey me. You need to do what I tell you to do. And there's all this friction, right? It happens in families. It happens in churches. And I would see some stuff, man. Like, like so this is the thing. In a, a lot of churches, in, in a lot of, like, like, Confucian cultures, if you follow the rules, if you obey, <laughs> if, you, if you play the game well, then you, 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 you'll do great, right? And, and, and I have to say of those people. It's kind of like the, the, the uh, uh, parable of the prodigal son, right? You got the older son and the younger son, right? If you're like the older son type and you just like listen and you don't question anything, you'll get along just fine. And that was me. But oddly enough, because I know it, it's the younger brother type in the prodigal son story, but my brother, my older brother, was the kind of person who wouldn't just listen to whatever the, the youth pastor said, you know? And for him, he was completely shunned. And, and there was this time where um, it was like the youth pastor would just like not look at him. He would come into the room and the youth pastor would just kind of have this look of disgust and just kind of turn his head. And my brother was like, what the heck? What kind of church is this? So he stopped going to church. To this day, he claims he doesn't believe in God. I think God is softening his heart over the years, but that's what happened. There are times even like, like for me at this church, we had a, a pastor years ago, and this was years ago, but um, we used to have the English service before the Korean service. Um, and so the, the, there was one time the, the, this older senior pastor came in and he started like arranging the flowers and he was like fixing things during the sermon. And so after the message, I went up to him and I said exactly like this. I said, Pastor, um, what you did was really disrespectful. And he was like, what? What did you say? I was like, what, what you did was really disrespectful. And, and like, honestly, if I had done that during the Korean service, would you be okay with that? If I just interrupted your sermon and just started arranging the flowers? And he was like, you know what? Pastor Steve, you're right. I, I'm so sorry. You know, I, it, like, would you accept my sincere? That's not what he did. <laughs> That's not what happened. What do you think happened? What do you think happened? Exactly what you think happened. I got yelled at. How dare you talk to me like that? What is wrong? With Friends, what is that about? That's the Confucian hierarchy, right? And so what happens is if you step out of line, if you disobey someone who's above you, then you are treated like a different person, right? And I have seen this. And I have to say to my shame, because I was the older brother type, I was the one who listened to the youth pastor. I'm the one who, you know, showed up for service on time, right? Who's part of the praise team. You know, I did all the things right. And so I actually judged my brother. I looked at him too, like, Psh, what's wrong with you, man? Why can't you step in line, man? Until one day our church actually split. There's big disagreement in the church. Um, and so my parents stayed with uh, the main church, and this youth pastor, um, his pastor was the uncle, actually, 
the pastor was his uncle, and they ended up leaving our church. And so in Cincinnati, where I grew up, a lot of the Korean churches would get together uh, once a year, like, like in the summer, um, to celebrate Christian fellowship by trying to destroy each other in volleyball and softball. You guys ever <laughs> have something like this where, where you grew up? Um, and so this was the first year that our churches would be competing against each other, right? And so, you know, uh, but I really thought of this youth pastor, the guy who kind of completely disregarded my brother and treated him like trash. I thought of him like a spiritual father. So I was excited to see him. I hadn't seen him in months, right? Um, and so I, I remember this. I'll never forget this. this. This changed my life. This changed the way that I do ministry. Uh, I, I went to the softball field. He's like throwing around a ball with someone. And then, you know, I'm getting closer. And I'm getting so close that he can't like ignore that I'm there. And so he turns and he looks at me and I'm smiling, right? And, and like, like I probably was like starting to hold out my, my arms to like hug him, right? And I'll never forget this. He looked at me. And it was that same look he would give my brother, like I was trash. And then he just turned completely his back to me, like I wasn't even there. I was like, oh, so that's how that feels. Oh, that's terrible. (laughs) Now I'm the bad guy, right? Now I'm the outsider. Now I'm the, the, the trash. And I'm like, what is this? Is this the culture of Christ? Is this the way we're supposed to treat people? And so for me, friends, when I eventually got my call into ministry and I was going to become a pastor, I've said this, I've told people this before, my greatest influence in ministry was that man, that youth pastor. He was like 15 years older than me, right? And he's my greatest influence, not not for good reasons, (laughs) But because when I became a pastor, I said, I'm not going to be anything like this guy, right? And there were some kids at my youth group who I thought of naturally, I mean, just being a human being, I'm like, man, these are a bunch of punks. And they won't listen. They're goofing off. They talk during the service, right? And maybe my natural instinct would be to be like, yeah, you got to listen to me. I'm the youth pastor. But I was like, no, 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 no. I understand why that's tempting. But no. Those are the ones, the ones who are on the outside, the ones that you would normally think as the troublemakers. Those are the ones I'm going to especially focus on. Why? Because I think that's what Jesus would do, right? And when you look at the culture of Christ, when you look at what it talks about in Scripture, it is all about grace. So much so that when I came to this church and we decided to name the church, we picked the name Living Grace Ministry. Right? And it's not, I'm not here to knock any other ministry. I'm not saying that you know, they're bad or good because we are not perfect. Please, please, I mean, we are not perfect. If you think we're a perfect church, I, I just want to pop that illusion right now. Right? We make lots of mistakes. So I'm not here to judge any other ministry, but I think sometimes there are ministries that maybe, you know, it, it's, it's just very tempting to kind of go that hierarchical path and to just kind of pull rank. You know, and if some people are difficult, if they're not doing what you want them to do, or maybe there's some people at your church who are kind of like the bad kids, you know, like, like what are the hot sins in college? You know, it's things like 
doing, you know, the things you're not supposed to do in relationships, right? You know, maybe dating when you're a freshman or something. I don't know. I don't know whether that's a sin, but for some ministries, it seems like it is, right? Or like, like drinking, underage drinking, partying, you know? Being part, <laughs> I was going to say being part of CASA, but I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I, I love CASA. I was a KSA president. We call the KSA at my... <laughs> but maybe for some, there's knowing laughter in this room, guys. <laughs> maybe for some, that, that's kind of like, hey, you know what? We want to attract the good kids. We want the kids who are going to listen, right? But for me, my mission was always no. It's got to be about grace. None of us are perfect, right? And so... That became my organizing principle. You know, even if you make a mistake. You know, we've had leaders who sometimes, you know, they oversleep for service or whatever, and they come to me and they're like, Pastor Steve, I'm so sorry. Like, they think I'm going to, like, you know, spank them or something. I'm like, dude, it's okay, man. I've overslept for service too. You know, it's no big deal, right? That doesn't change our relationship. That doesn't change your relationship with God. You just overslept, right? You know, and so, friends, when you look at Scripture, right, um, it, 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 this is one of the most famous uh, scriptures on grace. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 and, and on. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. It is not about what you have done that can bring you to God. It is not about falling in line. It is not about going to services or being the good Christian, going to all the Bible studies and serving on the praise team. What earns you the right to be in the presence of God, to have a relationship with God, is what Jesus did for you full stop. That's it, right? And so none of us can boast. None of us can act like we're better than each other, right? But it does say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That I think one of the mistakes that, um, especially in America, and this is part of the culture of America, is one of the mistakes that we make with grace is we look at it as just license. We look at it as just like, hey, everything's okay, right? Let's just include everyone, and let's just not point fingers at anyone, and let's just let everyone do whatever they want, right? And that's not what this is saying. It's saying that the grace is there for a purpose. It's because God wants to make you like Jesus, For we are his workmanship. The word there for workmanship sometimes gets translated as masterpiece. And I like that. I love that. For we are his masterpiece. Right? He's like creating a work of art that's so beautiful. And it's you. Did you know that? The actual Greek word for workmanship is poema. That's where we get our word for poem. I love that. You are God's poem. Right? And if you've seen poems, some of the best ones are not perfect. Right? But they're beautiful. Because of the person who is working that, right? And just like a poem or just like, you know, any work of art, I mean, maybe there's some mistakes, but you can kind of like make it work, right? And God is doing that in your life, right? And so it says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So there's this idea that there are insiders and outsiders. That's the way it used to be. You had people who are the people of God, the people of Israel, 
They had the covenant. They had the law. And if you follow that, you're in. But if you didn't do that, you're out. Right? And so this is Paul reminding us of that. But he says, in Christ Jesus, we have something different. In Christ Jesus, those who once were far away, because of what Christ has done, and only because of what Christ has done, you have been brought near. It's not because all of a sudden the Gentiles started following the law. Right? Do you get that? It's not because they cleaned up their lives. It is because Christ Jesus died on a cross. And resurrected from that cross. And defeated death and sin. And now these outsiders can be insiders. Right? And it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So there's something that's separating us. Right? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Friends, this is radical. And I don't think we even realize how radical this is, right? Because still, for a lot of us, being a Christian is about doing the right thing. That's what we think, right? But it says here that what Jesus has done is he's broken down this dividing wall that divides people into good and bad, into faithful and unfaithful, into chosen and not chosen, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Guys, that is radical, right? It's not about how well you follow the laws in Scripture anymore that gets you favor in God, right? And, and I think for a lot of us, we don't believe that for a second. But that's literally what it says here, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So, friends, I want to explain this for a second, because you're like, wait, what do you mean by one new man, one new human, in place of the two? And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. So, friends, what does that mean, that we were two kinds of humans? I think this just happens all the time. This is how human beings work. There's always a duality. There's good and there's bad. There's black and there's white. There's people who are are going to church. Those are people who aren't going to church, right? Those people who are following what the pastor says. There's people who are not following what the pastor says, right? You always have this kind of uh, dichotomy. You have the people who are going to Bible study and church and they're staying away from the bars and then you have the people who party and who are dating and doing all this stuff that maybe they weren't supposed to, you know? And, and like, like we create these false dualities, right? And it happens all of the time. And friends, what was Confucianism? It's this idea that some people are just higher than you, right? And some people are lower, And you can get to this level, you can become one of us if you follow that system. If you listen to that person in power, then you're in. If you don't, then you're out. By the way, how do you enforce that? For Koreans, for Asians, one of the most powerful ways you enforce that is by shame. You make people feel like there's something wrong with them if they don't follow that. So remember I told you, that kind of like that cold stare, that turning the back, that no, 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 you're not good. You're not good anymore. Have you experienced that before? That is not of Christ, right? Jesus died to make two people one, right? And so what do we see, friends? 
that we see actually that he, he came to and preach peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. He also had to come and preach to the people who were supposedly the good people. Because for Jesus, he actually knew that those were the people who he needed to uh, be a little more direct with, right? Friends, like seriously, this is not the way we treat it in the church. In the church, those people that we think are sinning and messing up by our standard, by some outward standard, those are the people we're harshest with, right? Am I right or am I wrong? That's been my experience. Those are the people that we like talk about, that we whisper about, that we kind of like, you know, like, yeah, that person, not so good, right? But look at what Jesus did. With the people, like the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the lepers, Jesus was the gentlest with them. Who was he the harshest with? (laughs) The pastors, the Pharisees, the people who were the most religious, the people who had like memorized all the scripture, they were following all the laws, because he was like, I see your heart. I see your heart, and I know that you are, I mean, he literally said this. He, he called them whitewashed wombs, tombs, excuse me, not wombs. <laughs> you are whitewashed tombs. He said, on the outside, you clean it. It looks so nice, but on the inside, you are a decaying flesh. You are rotten. Woo! <laughs> Jesus got spicy, right? Because he wanted us to understand He's like, you think you're different. You think those people, those tax collectors, those prostitutes, you're better than them, but you're not. I have come to make you one. You're not any different. You, I already see your heart, and I know that you're all sinners. And, and Jesus came and paid the price for that. It's not that we're excusing sin. Jesus came to pay the price for that sin. So all of us could come to know Christ. And so it says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. He's come to make us one, to make us the same. You're fellow citizens. You're fellow sinners. You're fellow redeemed saints, right? With the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the spirit. It is not going to be through our good works, right? It is going to be through Jesus. That is what we want to build LGM on what Jesus has done for us. And so for me, my heart is literally, you're all welcome, right? I I don't care what you did on Saturday. I mean, you know, I care because, you know, if I got to know you a little bit and if it was hurting you and if it wasn't good for your walk in Christ, then I do care. But I don't care to the extent that it somehow like prevents you from coming to God or coming to a community of Christ. I want you to come, right? If you screwed up or if people at your church used to judge you or if your youth pastor was like, yeah, don't do that, you're a bad person. Friends, it does not prevent you from approaching God, right? Because Jesus has broken down all the barriers that would prevent us from coming to God. So I literally want you all to come. That's my heart. I want us to be that kind of ministry, right? And so that's actually our vision, making a community of Jesus' disciples who love like Jesus through God's grace, through God's grace, through exactly this idea that you don't deserve it. We didn't earn that, 
right? It is simply because that is who God is, right? And friends, by the way, um, grace, I think, is something that, um, it's become a very pretty word, right? Are there some people here who your name is Grace? It's like, like, like a beautiful word. It's a beautiful name, Grace. Some of the, I, I don't want to embarrass you. There might be a few. I see some people like, where's Grace? I see her. <laughs> it's usually a, a, like a woman's name, right? Um, and I have to say that I did a, a word search for Grace, and a lot of images came up like this. They're so beautiful, right? Grace is thought of as being a beautiful thing, and it should be. I agree. But friends, I want to remind you of the first grace. And the first grace was not beautiful. The first grace was Jesus dying on a cross willingly for all of us. And by the way, for those religious leaders who thought they were better than everyone else and were kind of like talking all this trash to Jesus, yeah, he died for them too. It's ugly. It it, it was brutal. It was painful. And sometimes we call it that old rugged cross. It is one of the great mysteries. I know we have a beautiful cross hanging up here, and it has become beautiful. But the original was so ugly. And sometimes, friends, I think we need to be reminded of that. Because church is sometimes messy. Right? I mean, it sounds good. Like, living grace ministry. So beautiful. So nice. But sometimes we're going to get people who come to our church who are a little messy. You know why? Because life is messy. They don't have everything figured out. You make mistakes. You're not perfect. Right? And what are we going to do? If we are a church of Jesus, what do we do? What did Jesus do? He took the cross. He took the cross for the messy people in this world, for the imperfect people, for the sinful people. What will we do? Will we love those people? Will we accept them? Even if we're like, oh, you know, I wouldn't do what they're doing. But at the same time, will we learn to learn? Will we learn to love like Jesus loves us? Right? Will we learn the meaning of this cross? I want to ask uh, Haram to come up, Haram and Ginny, for our closing praise. I just want to take a moment for us to just kind of reflect. I know I shared a lot. I shared about grace. I shared about the story of our ministry. But I, I just want you to just kind of look at that cross for a moment. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Because I've shared this before, friends. Um, I'll share more with you. I I try to just be as real as possible. I'm not a perfect pastor. It's part of the reason why I minister the way I am. Because I know my sin. I know I've messed up. And I've needed this same grace. It's not because I'm so good. It's because Christ is so good. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you thought that you had to be perfect when you walk into the doors of a church and and maybe you look around and you think everyone else looks so perfect and you're like, if they only knew, if they only knew what I've done, if they only knew how I feel inside, they wouldn't accept me. Friends, I'm here to tell you that Jesus knows and he took that cross for you. He died on that cross for you. There's not a single one of us that is perfect. And so all of us in our imperfection, we fall upon the only one who is perfect, Jesus. And we say, save us again. We say, thank you for the cross. We say, God, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done for us. 
that what makes us the people of God is your grace. So friends, can we just accept that again? Maybe for some of you, you've never heard this before or you just needed to be reminded. Friends, can you just receive that? Jesus died for you. It's not an abstraction. He died for your sin. And he made a way for you to be with him and to be with the people of God. You have belonging. And it's not because you did everything right or you were able to clean up your life. It is because Jesus is gracious and he loves us and he went to the cross for you. Thank you, God, for this reminder, Lord, of your grace. We want to be a place where we don't just talk about grace, but we live it. When someone comes in these doors, they're absolutely 100% welcome. No matter what we may feel, despite our human judgments, we know that none of us deserve your grace. So all are welcome. We need your love. We need your cross. We need your grace, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.